You know there's a way for nurses to start a business, but there's so many moving pieces. Cut through the crap. It's time to go right to the source and get real about what's working in business and marketing for nurses with your host, the founder of Nursepreneurs, Katie Harris. Hi, it's Katie Harris, and this is an episode of the Nursepreneur Podcast. Today we have Terry Dreyer with us, who is the owner of North Shore Patient Advocates. Terry, thanks so much for being here with us. Oh, thank you, Katie. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about you and your background as a nurse? Sure. Um, I was an ICU nurse. That's all I ever really wanted to be. So from the time I was 21 years old, I I worked exclusively at, um, at mostly teaching hospitals, I would say, as an ICU nurse. Um, the last 25 years of my career, I worked in oncology at a cancer treatment hospital, and um, I really loved doing trauma when I was young, and um, I just loved everything about um, ICU nursing because it's very holistic. You take care of the physical, the emotional, the psychological, the spiritual. You really get close to the families, and I, that's what I liked most about nursing. <laughs> um, so. How long were you in ICU? Um, about 39 years. Um, for one or two years in the middle of there, I was also a cardiovascular nurse clinician for an interventional cardiologist. So um, I had several positions where I worked outside the limits of my education. Um, I'm educationally trained as a diploma RN. It's a three-year program. And that was the most common back in 1973 when I got out of high school. So um, I went to a three-year school and then, and then my first ICU job, I met a handsome med student and got married <laughs> and um, kind of got waylaid from um, some of my advanced education. <laughs> um, okay, so how did uh, ICU nursing um, bring you to the business that you have now, or how was that? How was that transition? Well, sure. Um, I always loved ICU nursing, but as you can imagine, it's physically a very difficult job um, to do for thirty-nine years. And after the age of about fifty, I started having a lot of um, arthritis problems, and um, uh, about that time. Um, everything in healthcare started to change. That's when the hospitals were getting ready for the Affordable Care Act. So it really became so much about the computer. And I remember thinking to myself, this is not going to be good for patients when doctors and nurses are spending two thirds of their time on the computer. And, you know, the big mantra was, uh, if you didn't chart it, it didn't get done. And so the patients seemed to move out of the center of model, the model of care. It was very frustrating for good nurses at that time. And, and you know, let's, let's face it, people in their 50s and 60s aren't quite as tech savvy as those in their 20s. So it was a steep learning curve. But I also saw that so much of the focus was on the charting that I actually observed some near miss catastrophic events in the ICU that I worked in. And um, I saw people so focused on getting all their charting done that they were missing patients that were having 
respiratory distress and breathing problems and cardiac arrhythmias and, and skin assessment issues. And, and it was a cancer hospital. So we had a lot of really immunocompromised um, patients and we just weren't seeing the nurses do the thorough assessments anymore. And, and to me, that was just wrong. Well, about this time, um, our family went on a cruise to Belize for my parents, grandparents, or, or my father's parents' um, um, 50th anniversary. And during that cruise, my father-in-law had um, a real crisis. He, he clotted off his IVC filter. Um, oh, no. and, and so I knew because of his symptoms, because I'd been an ICU nurse for a long time, and I knew a little bit more about diagnostic criteria than others. And um, we had to get him off the cruise ship and take him to a little Belizean hospital that um, did not even have a working ultrasound. And I slept in one bed, he slept in the other. They had him on a heparin drip and, um, and they couldn't really diagnose. They just treated him as if he had a blood clot, which he in fact did. Um, he had had an IVC filter put in three months earlier because he had a hereditary blood dyscrasia. Um, and, and so um, a lot of the men in his family had died very early because of this blood dyscrasia. So long story short, three days after he was on a heparin drip, the doctor said he could get up and go to the bathroom. And, um, and I wasn't real sure about that. As an ICU nurse, I know that the thrombin breakdown process takes seven to 10 days. Um, but the doctor said, oh no, he's, he's fine. And I also know that heparin doesn't dissolve clots. It just prevents further clots. So anyway, we helped him to the bathroom and after a couple minutes, it was real quiet in there. And I knocked on the door to make sure he was okay. And he said, I don't feel so good. And I opened up the door and he was purple. So um, I grabbed him and, and took him back to bed, called a code, and it took us about five minutes to get his blood pressure back. And, um, and so I said to the doctor, we're going back to the U.S. today. And so the next morning we flighted out, um, or later on that day, and we got back to the Chicago area, went to the hospital. I'm feeling like, oh my gosh, this is great. We're back in the U.S., they have a great healthcare system. <laughs> and uh, I went to the ER and the head of the ER was on that night. And I thought, oh, this is really fortuitous. And then he goes and talks to the primary care physician and, and, um, and comes back and says, well, your doctor says these things happen sometimes. So we're going to send you home on one. <laughs> You're better off in Belize. <laughs> so I pulled him outside and I said, he can't even stand up without falling down. <laughs> we are not going anywhere. You call my friend, Dr. Thomas, and tell him that uh, Terry Dreyer's in the ER and she's being difficult. <laughs> so, so that's what he did. Dr. Thomas knew that I was a really good cardiovascular nurse clinician. And so he said, yeah, just set him up for the interventional lab at 7.30 tomorrow morning. So he had a four-hour procedure. They drilled through cement from his um, diaphragm level all the way down past his knees on both sides. So he, he really had a bad clot. The doctor said he had never seen a thrombus that big before and it had been there for a little while. So it took some drilling to get it out. 
So anyway, he, my father-in-law had multiple complications over the next seven weeks. We ended up transferring him to a big um, tertiary care center in Chicago. And I was able, fortunately, to take off work, be there, but I was shocked at how many things were being missed. I mean, just communication gaps and silos and, and everything. And, and I, I was just amazed at how many near-death misses we had. And I mean, I, I remember residents telling me it was okay for us to go home. And I looked up on the ICU monitor and his blood pressure was 60 over 40. <laughs> Well, he's bleeding again. So you might want anyway. to fix that first before we go home. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it, it was just one thing after another. And um, critical thinking skills are really going by the wayside because people are so afraid of not charting everything. So when the whole thing was done, the family said to me, well, Terry, if you weren't there, he would have died. I just thought I was doing my ICU nurse thing. But they said, no, really this should be a thing, you know, this should be a thing, you know, you could make a living doing this. And so um, after I went back to work, um, coincidentally or not, I had a very shocking, life-changing experience. I was almost fired for advocating for a patient who was having a lot of complications. And I said to the surgeon, you know, help me understand why you're not sending her for more diagnostic tests. She's almost bled to death four times. And he got real defensive and he transferred her out of ICU. And then the next day, the daughter comes up and throws herself into my arms and says, Terry, you have to help. Mommy's gonna die. And um, so I did what any nurse daughter would do and I pulled her in a room and I said you know what this is what I'd do if I was my mom it was my mom I would um, go down to um, administration ask to you know first of all go and talk to the mid-level practitioners and say I want my mom transferred to, back to ICU right now and I want her to go to the interventional lab for a test and um, if they're not willing to do that then I'm going to go down to administration talk to risk management Meanwhile, I got on the phone and called risk management and said, we've got a situation. The doctor says he doesn't want her to come back to ICU. Her blood pressure is 60 over 40. She's going to bleed to death if she doesn't come back here. So, um, so anyway, everybody got real cooperative at that point. And I took the patient downstairs, brought her back to ICU. And as soon as we rolled into ICU after having a three-hour procedure where we were, uh, I'm sorry, we were um, giving her um, six units of blood during the procedure, we rolled into ICU and she sat bolt upright and started vomiting up gallons of blood clots. Oh my so God. then we coded her for three, three hours, gave her 25 units of blood, and the doctor is, uh, so I've got the surgeon's attention now. And so he's going up and down, up and down, screaming at us to go faster. So we were checking blood and hanging blood so fast and intubating her and doing all the stuff and putting her on vasopressors. And in the middle of all that, I forgot to sign out um, a dose of um, Dilaudid before we intubated her. And the next day, um, he had his um, mid-level practitioners go through the chart and found it. And um, 
they basically pulled me off the unit a few days later and asked me to go do a urine drop. They wanted to accuse me of being a drug abusing nurse. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so it just, it just was like a huge light bulb moment. Oh yeah, it's not really safe for nurses to strongly advocate inside the hospital, but it made me so mad. I went out and I took a, um, a program and learned how to be a patient advocate and started my own company. And I'm sure everybody thought I was nuts because I was making six figures working three 12 hour shifts um, a week. And um, I didn't know anything about business, but I was so passionate about this being wrong in America, you know, that this healthcare system is not being patient centric. Everybody talks about it, but um, really the patient's not the center anymore. The, the dollar is. And right now with COVID, um, hospitals are hemorrhaging money and I know what they're going through, but it always has to be all about the patient. Right, Katie? Yeah. Oh, it's so true. And you're right. It, it hasn't been patient centric for a very long time. And it, it's, you know, if anything, you know, you said dollar centric, uh, but it's also, I think, provider centric as well. Like, you know, it, it all depends on what the surgeon says or the, the doctor or the, you know, the provider. And it's just kind of what's convenient for them, uh, what we do next. <laughs> and it has nothing to do yeah. with the patient. Yeah, exactly. I saw that very very um, point illustrated not too long ago, I had a, a very complex patient who needed a major cancer surgery in December. And um, he had severe mental illness, he was obese, and he was scared to death that they were going to take him off his psych meds. So um, I jumped through hoops to get um, permission for advocates to be in the hospital. And um, and I was there when they put his epidural in and I had specifically requested multiple times to have, have um, a board certified anesthesiologist do the procedure because the man was 400 pounds. I knew they were gonna have trouble with his anatomy and they would not budge on that. They just felt like it was a teaching hospital. It was their decision and they weren't gonna have a nurse telling them what to do. Well, long story short, the patient ended up with neurological symptoms for weeks after that because the, the third year resident had such a hard time um, putting it in that she really caused nerve damage. And um, that's one of the unfortunate side effects of, um, of um, you know, going to a teaching hospital. You basically sign away all, a lot of your rights on who can do what procedures. And so I was able to talk to risk management about that. But um, yeah, we're consultants as patient advocates. We can speak up loudly and, and make our patients requests known. But in that situation, the patient chose to have the procedure because he was so scared of the cancer. And so, you know, it's, yeah. it's sad because doctors still think they're little gods and they can make all the decisions. Yeah, so. no, you, you definitely said something that uh, that resonated. And it's one of the reasons that I started my own company was because, you know, the, and I don't know what it is. Uh, you know, nurses are intelligent, they are respectable, they're in the trenches, mm -hmm. they know what's going on. And yet, like, the administration, the doctors, whomever, uh, providers, I don't want to throw people under the bus, but 
if it comes from the nurse, it's something that you can just kind of like, oh, well, I'll consider it, you know, uh, you know, as opposed to, yeah, let me listen to you. You're on equal par with me and, um, you know, your opinion matters. And that's the kind of stuff that really irks the crap out of me. And it was my realization that I couldn't do what I wanted to do to fix the system within the system because they have us on a totem pole and we're at the bottom. Yeah. I, I do agree with that. And um, I'm not a person that's paranoid about, you know, gender equity or anything like that. I was raised by a father that always taught me I could do anything that men could do. But there is this um, culture still in 2021 that nurses are part of the bed charge. <laughs> And you know, we're not, we, we know all the dirty little secrets in the hospitals. We are so smart. We listen to all the, the doctors doing their rounds. We learn constantly. We know who the best doctors and worst doctors are, who has the highest infection rates, who treats nurses badly. I would never refer a patient to a doctor that I know treats nurses badly because then they'll treat patients badly too. You know, you have to be respectful. And ICU nurses are used to being treated as equals because we save those doctors so many midnight phone calls. <laughs> you know, we don't call and ask them for an order to do an ABG. We just do the, the blood gas and then call them and tell them the results and tell them we already called somebody to intubate the patient. Yeah. So it's um, one of those things that a good nurse is a doctor's best friend. And um, gone are the days that doctors can treat nurses like crap, because right now, nurses are leaving the field in droves. I mean, this last year has been one of the final straws. I just talk to nurses all the time that are heartbroken, you know, about the things they're seeing during COVID. And for 18, 19, 20 years of seeing that they can't practice nursing the way they were taught to practice because culture shock is just too, too severe. And you've probably seen the stats of how many nurses graduating from nursing school leave the whole field within three years. I mean, the whole culture has to change. We are not part of the bed charge. We're not labor. We, we are the ones that are the frontline people that, that um, help the doctors more than anybody in the hospital. So nurses are, are really, really valuable. And I love nurses. So. Yeah, I do too. Um, yeah. So tell me a, a bit about this business. Like what do you do for the patients in the business or your clients? I, uh, I guess would be a better word, but um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. We call them clients because we work off a, a similar business model that attorneys do. People give us a retainer. We bill a, a, an hourly rate. Uh, the average hourly rate in the Chicago area is between $150 and $200 an hour for nurses. And true, not everybody can afford that. But for life-threatening situations when you need the best, you need to call in the big guns. And we have a reputation in Chicago of being the largest, highest skill level professional advocacy company in the Midwest. And I'm really proud of that. We were the first and I only hire really, really good nurses. And I pay them really well too, because they're not 
they're not just task oriented they're critical thinkers they're very nice they become like part of the family and we protect patients and we save them money and we vet um, physicians um, for them and help them navigate a very complex and fragmented system safely and that's worth a lot of money um, so we're using our years and years of experience and street smarts to help um, save calamities for patients. Um, and is this a, a cash business? Is this something, or does insurance reimburse you? Or no? And there, that's a great question, Katie. Um, part of the ethics and best practices of patient advocacy um, state that um, we don't take insurance because. <clears throat> you know, we don't want divided allegiance. So if you know who you belong to, just follow the money. And so we're very, very focused on the fact that we belong to the patient. Yes, we do help hospitals a lot as a side um, through improved professional communication and reduction in, in risk of medical error um, caused by miscommunication, all those kinds of things. But we belong to the patient. We're all about the patient. We're their advocate. And we, I don't see a time that we will ever take insurance. Advocates are a little, a little bit like a cross between um, an advanced practice nurse, a really good care manager, a lawyer and a guard dog. So that's what we do. Okay. Um, and, you know, do, so do insurance companies have something similar to this? Uh, I mean, are they kind of like a competitor of yours or do you not see them that way? No, I, I always say insurance company advocates, the RNs that work at insurance companies get their paycheck from the insurance company. So they their job is to do things the way the insurance company wants. Quite often, we'll talk to those nurses and, and show them how doing the right thing up front is going to save them hundreds of thousands of dollars in the future. And that's great. And that's where nurse-to-nurse -nurse communication is valuable. And hospital um, patient advocates uh, generally work for the risk management department of the hospital. So they're there to prevent the hospital being sued. They can do little things, but um, they're not the same level. And I think a good thing to talk about here is that advocate, the word advocate is so overused in today's society. People talk about political activists being advocates. In a sense, they are. But private professional RN patient advocates are all about being an extra layer of protection around one particular client and my nurses only take between five and ten clients at a time so we're very very hands-on and we get really complex cases we say that being an advocate is somebody that fills the gap between the provider the hospital and the patient and um, so that's where our value comes in okay and so now this is something that you teach other nurses how to do as well is that right well, yes, I do. I've, I've been a mentor to um, probably dozens of nurses over the past 10 years because we're pretty well known nationally. But recently during COVID, I took the opportunity to put all of my um, best um, training material on 13 hours of videotape um, for my own staff. And then somebody um, asked if they could they could watch that program as part of their mentoring and I said sure just you have to tell give me feedback on it and then somebody else asked and before 
I knew what a lot of people were asking for that training. And um, so actually this week I'm launching um, my new website, my new course, it's called nurseadvocateentrepreneur.com. And so I'm gonna offer different options for nurses around the country that have kind of had it up to their eyeballs with what healthcare has become. And they want to um, get back to true patient advocacy. And so that's my newest, biggest thing. <laughs> well, that's exciting. So, um, you know, what, uh, what is kind of your vision for this moving forward? So you're one of the biggest or the biggest patient advocacy in the Midwest. Are you gonna go nationwide? Are you gonna franchise or are you, are you happy where you are? Well, to me, it's really not about the money. Um, I have a vision that while I'm alive sometime, I wanna see that every patient in America has access to a patient advocate um, because our healthcare system right now is so fragmented and it's not gonna get unscrewed up by the government. Let me tell you that. <laughs> so uh, I think nurses need to step in the gap and say, no, you can't treat patients that way and we're gonna protect them. And so my vision is that, you know, in the next 10, 15 years, um, professional patient advocacy will be so mainstream that doctors will ask when they first meet a patient, who's your patient advocate? You know, that everybody, and I've got a nonprofit company too. So um, I love to um, help people of low income, but that's my vision for the future. And I think when you're doing the right thing, Katie, you know, the money just follows. I'm just really passionate about patient safety and getting patients back to the center of healthcare. Yeah, no, absolutely. We say that all the time. You know, I would talk about like business as being a personal journey and a way to like make your impact and lasting impression on the world or your legacy in a lot of ways. And money is kind of like the app. It's kind of the side effect of doing something really well. And it, yeah. it can't be the thing that drives you because, oh my goodness, no, no. It, it's a journey and a half. <laughs> it has to be your, your um, passion in life. It's what makes you feel alive. And when I'm saving lives, and saving money and saving aggravation for families. I just feel like, like I'm doing exactly what I was created to do. Absolutely, I love this, Terry. This is, um, this is amazing. And um, maybe you could tell people the different locations that they can find you, how they can connect with you um, and take your course. Sure. Um, well, they can always reach me for, through the contact page at um, North Shore Patient Advocates or End Shore Patient Advocates. So just uh, Google North Shore Patient Advocates. We come up as uh, number one in Chicago, or they can um, they can check out our, our new website for our program. It's called nurseadvocateentrepreneur.com. And um, we're gonna be starting our first class in the latter half of, of March. And we're gonna start advertising aggressively um, throughout the country tomorrow because I want more patients to get nurse advocates and I wanna train nurses how to start their own company. Great, well, thank you so much, Terry. Oh, you're most welcome, Katie. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for the invitation and you have a blessed day.